Uh, Luke, we're in Luke 19, wonderful little passage. Uh, we're looking at the first ten verses, the story of Zacchaeus, and this is God's word to you because he's your Savior. He entered Jericho, this is Jesus, and was passing through, and there was a man named Zacchaeus. He was a chief tax collector and was rich. And he was seeking to see who Jesus was, but on account of the crowd, he could not because he was small of stature. So he ran on ahead and climbed up into a sycamore tree to see him, for he was about to pass that way. And when Jesus came to the place, he looked up and said to him, Zacchaeus, hurry and come down, for I must stay at your house today. So he hurried and came down and received him joyfully. And when they saw it, they all grumbled, he has gone to be the guest of a man who is a sinner. And Zacchaeus stood and said to the Lord, Behold, Lord, the half of my goods I give to the poor. And if I have defrauded anyone of anything, I restore it fourfold. And Jesus said to him, Today salvation has come to this house, since he also is a son of Abraham. For the Son of Man came to seek and to save the lost. Let's pray together. Our Lord, we thank you for that good word from Jesus that the Son of Man came to seek and to save the lost. That is us. We are here um, as lost sinners who uh, have come to find the grace that is in Jesus. We ask that you would, by your Holy Spirit, just communicate that grace to us anew and fresh by your word. And I pray for those that are here that uh, might not know that grace um, or are here thinking about who you are in their life. And I pray that your spirit would be at work in their heart, that you would be revealing yourself to them as we study your word together. And we thank you uh, that you are our Father, that there is a God in heaven who is good. And we give our hearts to you now in Jesus' name. Amen. So uh, we are talking this morning uh, about the topic of conversion. Uh, what, it, you know, what does it look like when someone has this transformation, when they don't have a relationship with God, they don't know anything about God, and then all of a sudden, uh, Jesus becomes the center of their life, the defining thing in their life. And uh, what does that look like when that transformation happens? And uh, you know, I'll tell you, I, I think in the last few years, I've had a number of conversations with people who have said that you know, they're very intrigued by Christians. Uh, they're intrigued by people who have faith, uh, people who believe in the Bible. They seem to have purpose in their life. They have community. They're in the church. They're intrigued by who Jesus is. And, and they're curious to say, you know, how does that happen? How do you go from being someone like me that, you know, I've never been in church. I don't know anything about, about God or Jesus. And to have this transformation where now all my life is kind of surrounded. He's defining who I am. How does that transition happen? And, you know, of course, it's, uh, it's very different, right, for all, all that process. looks very different for all kinds of different people. You know, I look in my own family. I was a, you know, punk dropout stoner kid who had this transformation that happened very quickly when I was 16. You know, I'd never read a book in my life, and I, or, you know, maybe one, and I start reading the Bible, and I believe it. And Jesus changes my life. And, you know, and then I come back to a family that uh, didn't have much of a church background. And uh, you take someone like my mom who, uh, you know, when I became a Christian, she started going to church. And, you know, for about 15 years, she was kind of asking questions, processing, talking to Christians, talking to me. And slowly, gradually, over the course of that time, she comes to a point point. she says, you know, 
I think I am a sinner, and I think I do want Jesus as my Savior. I believe. I want it. And, and just a year ago or so, uh, her life, tra- she has this transformation. She has this conversion. And, you know, it's also true that it's not, this, a conversion it doesn't just happen in different ways, but it happens to very different kinds of people. The Christian church is full of all different kinds of people, you know, educated, uneducated, different socioeconomic uh, backgrounds, ethnic groups, I mean, all different kinds. Um, actually, just in Luke here, if, if you were here two weeks ago, I read a little passage about a blind beggar, you know, who's on the side of the road and he can't see anything. He's screaming out to Jesus, uh, you know, come have mercy on me, uh, the son of David. And uh, here's a guy who, you know, he's kind of a, a poor blind, uh, rejected by society, and then this week, uh, and he comes to faith, and then this week we couldn't have a more opposite kind of person uh, that we're reading about in Zacchaeus. Uh, you, you see there in verse 2 it says, and there was a man named Zacchaeus, and he was a chief tax collector and was rich. He's almost the opposite as blind, blind beggar, uh, you know, what a, a, there, in the Roman Empire, in every city in the Roman Empire, this, there was this kind of network of tax collectors who would go and they would collect the tolls from all the people for the taxes of the, uh, uh, for the empire. And uh, most of them used kind of force and coercion and intimidation to kind of get more money out of people. And then they'd just kind of take the money that was on top. And so tax collectors were just hated and despised by, by all kinds of people. And here's a guy who's rich. And not only is he a tax collector, but it says in the Greek he's like the arch tax collector. He oversees all the tax collectors in Jericho. And so he's not just one of the despised people. He's the leader of all the despised people. And so he, you know, in our context, he's kind of like a greedy, white-collar criminal. The opposite of a blind beggar. And yet here's this guy who has this transformation and his life transforms, and he wants to see Jesus, and he comes to Jesus, and he comes to know Jesus, and his whole life is transformed. And, um, and so even though there's all different kinds of people in different ways that people have this transformation and come to know Jesus, but, you know, to be saved or to put their faith in Christ, uh, there are some things that are fairly normal, a, f- a fairly normal process that happens to everyone, even though it looks different ways. And... Um, and so I think it's important for us to ask, what does a conversion look like? And, you know, so if you're here and you might be here and you're not a Christian and you say, you know, I'm, I haven't had a conversion. I'm, I'm maybe you're interested in who Jesus is. This is an important topic for you. <laughs> what exactly is Jesus inviting you into or calling you to? But, of course, if you are a Christian, it's relevant for you as well. Because, you know, the, how the Christian life begins is repentance and faith. That's how the whole Christian life is. I mean, in some ways, our whole life is a continual conversion. I mean, the, the same experience we have when we first come to Jesus is an experience that we're having over and over again. Anyone who's really been growing and maturing in their faith knows that, that they always come to a time again and again where they say, you know, I don't even know if I was a Christian before. I've grown, I've learned new things in such tremendous ways. And of course, you were a Christian, but you're growing and learning, and in your whole life is, is a process of this conversion. And so what I want to do is I want to... Um, uh, and so what that means is this, is this applies to all of us, this question of what does a conversion look like. And, and what I really want to do is, is say two steps that need to happen if that transformation is going to happen in our life. And the first is that we have to get over the obstacles. If we're going to come to Jesus, we're going to see Jesus, we have to get over the obstacles. And the fact is 
Believing in Jesus, following Jesus, loving Jesus is something that is not natural. It's not natural for you. It's not natural in our culture, in our world. And so there's going to be a tremendous amount of obstacles. So you need to prepare yourself that you have to get over the obstacles to come to him. But second, you have to bring Jesus home. You've got to get over the obstacles, and then you've got to bring Jesus home. And I'll, I'll tell you what I mean by that, okay? So two things. Get over the obstacles and bring Jesus home. So first, we have to get over the obstacles. Now, in verse 3 in the passage, it says that Zacchaeus was seeking to see who Jesus was. Zacchaeus is a guy who is interested. He's intrigued. I don't know, how did he hear about Jesus? Maybe he heard you know, rumors about him, about this guy. But there's something about Jesus that's been attractive to him, and he wants to, he wants to see him face to face. He wants to find out who the real Jesus is. I want to I set my eyes on him. I want to talk to him if I can get a chance. And uh, so he's determined to investigate him. But there were two obstacles that were keeping him from it. The first was the crowds, right? Uh, you see that there, again, in verse 3, it says he was seeking to, uh, to see who Jesus was, but on account of the crowds, he could not. There was a crowd of people that was obstructing his view of Jesus. His, they were either not letting him get to Jesus. He was having a problem get, uh, seeing Jesus, and the people were in the way. And one of the realities is, is that as you're investigating who the real Jesus is, discovering who Jesus is, one of the biggest obstacles you're going to face are people. People will be an obstruction. And, you know, it's both religious people and irreligious people are going to be an obstruction to you. Um, You know, this group of people in this case actually is a religious group of people. You know, if you just hop down to verse 7, it says, uh, um, after Jesus decides to go home to Zacchaeus' house, Zacchaeus is this, you know, white-collar criminal that everyone hates, and and in verse 7 they say, uh, and when they saw it, they all grumbled, He has gone in to be a guest of a man who is a sinner. The first obstacle for Zacchaeus was a group of religious people who were tremendously self-righteous, tremendously hypocritical. And the fact is, for many people, they would say the big problem that they have with the church, with Christianity, with the Bible, is that uh, they've known religious people who are intolerant or... uh, uh, have a kind of superiority, think they're better than people, think, you know, holier than thou kind of thing. And the fact is, you know, that's true. There's, there are Christians like that. Actually, all of us are like that to some degree, uh, to varying degrees, where we all have, and not just Christians, but non-Christians have that in us as well. And of course, that's an obstacle. But the fact is, you know, I, I'm, I'll tell you, as, as someone who's grown up, who didn't grow up in the church, and I, I, you know, came in late as a teenager into the church, I didn't know about church life or about Christians. One of the things that I found is, for the most part, I, I've been quite amazed by Christians. I, they've been very warm. They've been welcoming. They've been opening. Um, I knew a lot of people that I'd hurt uh, before I was a Christian, and they, they had no problem forgiving me. And they weren't good in this kind of do-gooder kind of way. They're very genuine. They're very honest about their faults. I found that quite a lot. There's quite a mixture in the church. And one of the things that we have to say is if, the, if this uh, hypocritical Christians are going to be the uh, obstacle to us seeing Jesus, are we going to let that happen? I mean, Jesus even said there are going to be hypocrites in the church. I know that there's, you know, he criticized religious people who are hypocrites. And are we going to let those hypocrites define for us coming to love, love himself? That's what Jesus was. He was love come in, in a body and as a man. He is ultimate reality come to us to meet us and to talk to us. Are we going to let that experience of Christians define uh, how we see Jesus? 
and we have to get over that obstacle. No way. There's no way I'm going to let a hypocritical Christian define who Jesus is for me. So first, you know, you have to get over the obstacle of religious people, but also irreligious people. You know, um, uh, you know in some ways, this crowd is also like uh, irreligious people in that they, they want to talk about Jesus. You know, they're out. They're, Jesus is coming into town. They're going to check him out, but they want to keep him at a distance, right? There's someone, you know, Jesus is someone I'll talk about, but they're not someone that I, you know, I really want to call Lord. And in our culture, you know, there's still a tremendous amount of talk about Jesus. I mean, it's quite amazing. I mean, how many, at least a couple times a year, Jesus is still on the cover of Time or Newsweek, you know. I mean, he's, he's every Easter, it's a new, you know, you go into uh, Barnes & Noble, you got books about Jesus. I mean, this is 2,000 years later, he's still discussion books and books. People want to talk about Jesus, but they want to keep him at, a, at an arm's length. And the fact is true also that if you decide that you, you want to follow Jesus, you want to listen to his call in your life and say, he's, he's inviting me to follow him, to center my life around him, to have his love define who I am, what you're going to find is there's going to be people in your life who are resistant to that. You know, you might have family members who are going to say, listen, it's great that you want to explore your spiritual side. We're all in favor of that little church, little lorden. Not going, to do any, not going to hurt anyone, right? But listen, don't, don't go over the top with this. Don't make, you know, have this define everything about you. You know, uh, you know keep it as a little compartment in your life. And what, uh, what the crowds want to do is they want to have an interest in Jesus, but they don't want to call him Lord. And one of the facts is that that crowd, it will be an obstacle of this transformation. And you have to prepare yourself that uh, Jesus is calling me to... to, to not follow the crowds, <laughs> not listen to them, to, to go over them, to go around them, to find a way around them to face the real Jesus, to find out who is the real Jesus and not let people obstruct my view of him, okay? So um, you've got to find the real Jesus, you know, as he is in the Bible. And, you know, one other, one other thing I should say is some people might say, you know, has anyone ever picked up the Bible and started reading the real Jesus just as he is in the Bible not, and decided they wanted to follow him and you know, I believe in him. Well, I, that was me, right? <laughs> yes. <laughs> that happens all the time. That's happened many times. Where people just pick up the Bible, I'm going to start reading the Gospels, I'm going to find it, and ask the question, is this, the person that I meet in the pages of the Gospel, is this someone I trust? The claims that he's making about himself, do I believe him? And if you face a real Jesus, you'll find him very compelling. I assure you. So I invite you to do that. So first, first obstacle is the crowds. Second obstacle for Zacchaeus is himself. Zacchaeus is himself an obstacle. Now, in the Bible, the, the Bible writers, are, uh, they usually do not give physical descriptions of uh, people, you know, characters in the Bible. Actually, we know very little of what Jesus looked like. You know, was he kind of fat and short, or was he tall? Did he have a big nose or zits? Or We don't know any of that. Uh, you know, maybe he had a beard. I think there's somewhere it talks about his beard getting pulled out or something in the Old Testament. But uh, so there's not these physical descriptions. But you know, poor Zacchaeus, who is going to go down in history as you know, Zacche- Zacchaeus was a wee little man. You know, uh, I know when he got the first uh, edition of Luke and he was reading his story in there, and Luke had to include that he was little, and uh, and uh, but you know. That, that was a part, one of the, the uh, obstacles for Zacchaeus was he was a short man, he couldn't see over the, uh, over the crowds. He just physically could not see Jesus. 
And that was an obstacle for him. And for some of us, you know, some people are interested in Jesus. They say, you know, I just don't, I just can't see him. It's just, I, I don't get it. I don't get it yet. Uh, you know, maybe there's intellectual problems. I don't, I'm not even sure how this works yet. And that's okay. That's okay to have intellectual questions and problems because, you know, Jesus wants you to understand what you're believing in. I mean, at least to some degree, what, you know, what you're signing up for. It's important to ask those questions with a teachable kind of spirit. You know, I, I mentioned that uh, my mom, over 15 years uh, or so, we talked hundreds of hours about the Lord. But, you know, one of the things that was so encouraging to me was, you know, uh, she didn't really ask the same question twice. You know, if she got an answer... She was like, oh, okay, there's the answer. That makes sense. And I was really wanted to know. And then she'd tell me five years later, oh, I remember a conversation a while ago. You told me this. I was like, whoa, you really remember that? You were really listening? There's a teachable spirit um, to, to uh, getting over those obstacles because I want to see, see Jesus. But that intellectual problem is um, you're never going to get to a proof of Jesus. You know, actually, the fact of the matter is, what Jesus, uh, the situation he puts us in, is you have to make a decision, is he who he says he was, or is he not? You know, actually, in this passage, there's an interesting little verse, down there in verse 9, and Jesus said to Zacchaeus, today salvation has come to this house. Do you hear what he's saying? Who came to Zacchaeus' house that day? Jesus came. And he, said, he says salvation is a person. And in the Old Testament, salvation belongs to the Lord. Jesus is saying, I am the God of salvation. The God of salvation just walked in your front door. He is making a claim that I am the God of the Old Testament. I am the Yahweh of the Old Testament. Come as a man who created all things. And that's the thing that he puts before us is, is that true or is it not true? And many people say, you know, I need evidence. I need proof that Jesus uh, is, is who he says he was, that, you know, his body raised from the dead. Well, one of the things you have to understand is, do you need proof the other way? You know, you have a civilization that for at least a millennia and a half, the Western civilization has largely said that Jesus' body did rise from the dead and that he was God come as a man. So, uh, and as a result of him, you have hospitals, you have uh, universities, education systems, you have freedom, uh, freedom you have uh, uh, the ending of slavery. All these things have their roots in, in Christianity and in Jesus' teaching. And so to say, I think it's all a lie, that is a tremendous act of faith. You're taking that on faith. And so what, you have to ultimately understand that to get over the intellectual uh, obstacle, you understand that whatever you believe, whether you accept an accept him or reject him, you are doing that act on faith. And so you need to go to him and look at the real one and say, is this a man that I trust? And something to be careful with is for many people when they say, you know, I have intellectual problems with the Bible and, uh, and with Jesus and with Christians and things like that, is that it's possible for intellectual problems to actually be a cover for a deeper obstacle. And this is really the deep obstacle, the one deep obstacle is our pride. Because when Jesus says, to come and follow me, he says, listen, uh, you're not sufficient for yourself. Uh, you're not good enough for God. You need me to die on the cross for your sins. Uh, you're not strong enough. You're weak. You need my strength. You need my Holy Spirit. You need my salvation. You're not sufficient for yourself. And the big uh, ultimate obstacle for us is really our pride. And there's an amazing, you know, Zacchaeus... <laughs> 
is an amazing example to us. Look at verse 3 again. And he was seeking, uh, uh, and Zacchaeus was seeking to see Jesus, uh, to see who Jesus was, but on account of the crowd he could not, because he was small of stature. So he ran on ahead and climbed up into a sycamore tree to see him, for he was about to pass that way. He goes and he climbs a tree. And, you know, commentators say that for an adult male, especially a man who's wealthy and a ruler, to go climbing up in a tree would just be ridiculous and shameful for an adult male to do that in this culture. And he says, I don't care. I don't care about my pride. I don't care about my reputation or what people think of me. I'm going to climb up the tree and I want to see Jesus. I want to talk to him if I can. I want to see him face to face. And it, he's like a child. He's like, I don't mind if I look like a kid. I don't, know, I don't mind if, if, if everyone thinks I'm some kid climbing in a tree. I want to see Jesus. And that's the call for us to get over the obstacle of our pride and to say, I want to see him. And uh, that's the key. The key to letting God into your life is you have to repent of your pride. You have to let go of your pride. And to humble yourself and say, I want you. I need you. And, you know, look at what happens in this passage. You know, Jesus walks up, and Jesus sees this guy up in the tree. And you just imagine, I mean, Jesus loves that. Look, what are you doing in the tree? Zacchaeus, come down. Let's go to your house. Let's get lunch together. Immediately, there's warmth. Immediately, there's friendship. I mean, and that's what, that's what, when you let down your pride, that's what happens, right? That's how it is with people. When you let down your pride and you're just yourself, you don't, you're not trying to put on a show. You're not trying to show that you're better than people and that you're, you're strong. When, you, uh, when you're, you're, you're at ease with people, you let people into your faults, what does it bring? Friendship, closeness, relationship. And that's what God is inviting us into in the gospel is that God wants to be our friends. Jesus wants to be our friends. That's what he says to his disciples. I've not called you servants. I've called you friends. And so that's the invitation. And so what you can see is that the movement of a conversion is, goes from kind of the impersonal obstacles of things like, oh, Christians are hypocrites, or I have intellectual problems. It be, and when a conversion happens is when our uh, understanding of Jesus becomes personal. It becomes closer. And that leads to our second point. It's not, uh, not just that we have to get over the obstacles, um, get over the crowds, get over ourselves and our pride, but we also have to bring Jesus home. We have to bring Jesus home. And, you know, that's Zacchaeus. Uh, that's the turning point of his life, right? Is He invites Jesus over uh, for dinner. Jesus comes, spends the night at his house. That's the turning point. And uh, G.K. Chesterton, I, I want to say a few things about, about home and about our homes. G.K. Chesterton, was a, he was an author about 100 years ago in England. And uh, this is what he says. Every normal man desires a house of his own. He does not merely want a roof above him and a chair below him. He wants an objective and visible kingdom, a fire at which he can cook what food he likes, a door he can open to what friends he chooses. And what Chesterton says, you know, when you're at work, you've got to uh, wear the clothes that people tell you to wear. You've got to talk about the things that people want you, know, want you to talk about. You've got to do the things that your job's telling you you have to do. And your home is the place where the real you is. You get to do what you want. And he says, you know, it's the place where you're king. <laughs> it's the one place where, you know, you get to be king of. It's your little kingdom. And Jesus says that's the place. It's in your home, in the real you where you're king. That's where I want to be led into. That's where I want you inviting me into and walking into. And, um, and how does that happen? 
How do we let Jesus into the real place, bring him home into the real place where we're king and where we're our real self? And what the Christians have always said, what the Bible says, is that it's through these two things of repentance and faith. Repentance and faith. Let me just talk, I'm just going to talk about those two things and then I'll be done. Um, repentance. Uh, look again at verse 8. And Zacchaeus stood and said to the Lord, Behold, Lord, the half of my goods I give to the poor. And if I have defrauded anyone of anything, I restore it fourfold. What's Zacchaeus doing? He's talking to Jesus about his job. He's not talking about theology or, uh, you know, the Bible or hymns or songs or religious things. He's talking about how he spends his, you know, 40 hours a week or however long, what he does during the week. And what he's admitting is he's saying there's no area of my life that's off limits to Jesus. And in fact, I got a lot of areas of my life that got some real problems. Uh, I defraud people. I'm actually a deeply wicked man. And the fact that you're coming into my home, I've done some seriously wicked things. Greed, envy, I've hurt people, I'm self-righteous, I I look down on people, I abuse the weak. Um, And the fact is we have all kinds, look at the transitions that's happening. From overcoming the obstacles and he's letting him into the real problems in his life. And uh, that's what it means, is that when we let Jesus into our home, the reality of us is that our life is not what it should be. That we're actually, if anyone really knew, we're far worse people than anyone ever imagined. And uh, I do, i got to read a paragraph to you. This is from, from C.S. Lewis' book, Mere Christianity, where he uses the, the image of a house to describe what Jesus is doing in our life. And this is, this is what he says. It's a little bit of a paragraph, but, but, it, but it's really good. So here, listen. Imagine yourselves as a living house. God comes in to rebuild that house. At first, perhaps, you can understand what he's doing. Uh, he's getting the drains right and stopping the, leads and, uh, the leaks in the roof and so on. You know that those jobs needed doing, and so you're not surprised. But presently, he starts knocking the house about in a way that hurts abominably uh, and does not seem to make sense. What on earth is he up to? The explanation is that he is building quite a different house from the one you thought of. Throwing out a new wing here, putting up an extra floor there, running up towers, making courtyards. You thought you were going to be made into a decent cottage. But he is building a palace. He intends to come and live in it himself. And what he describes is, C.S. Lewis is saying that you're like a house that Jesus is coming into. And you know what? He's not just rearranging the furniture a little bit and kind of making himself at home. He's actually starting to blow down walls. He's starting to remodel. He's ripping off whole uh, parts of your house, walls in yourself that you didn't know needed to be torn down. And the beginning of repentance, the beginning of letting Jesus home is to repent of our sin and to say, Jesus, I know that there's envy, there's bitterness, there's lust, there's self-righteousness, there's pride. All these things live in me, and I know that they don't always pop out, but I know that they're all living in me, and I can't stop them if I wanted to. I couldn't turn them off if I wanted to. And repentance is just admitting that to God, acknowledging it to God, and saying, I need you to come in and start remodeling. Start tearing down walls. And I don't even know what walls need to get tore down, but I'm going to trust you. And that leads to the second step. One step, repentance. The other side of repentance is faith. 
This is what a conversion is, is repentance and faith. And this is the last thing, faith, embracing, which is embracing the love of God that's in Christ. Now, this is, this is amazing. Listen, look at what Jesus does here. So when Zacchaeus, in verse 8, you know, starts saying, you know, the half of my goods I give to the poor, and if I've defrauded anyone of anything, I restore it fourfold. You know, it sounds a little bit like Jesus, uh, Zacchaeus is telling Jesus, listen, I know I've been a bad guy, but now I'm being a good guy. God will love me now that I'm a good guy, right? I'm doing all these good things, see all the good things that I'm doing. And look at where Jesus takes it. (laughs) First of all, he says, uh, today salvation has come to this house. Today. He's like, listen, I know you've been starting to, uh, you know, you've been starting to get things right in your job. But listen, salvation didn't come by you being a better person. Salvation came when I showed up. Salvation is a person and I'm here. And then he goes on in the next verse. Look what he says. This is, this is one of the most important verses in the whole Gospel of Luke. He says, For the Son of Man came to seek and to save the lost. And what's amazing is that the passage began by saying that Zacchaeus was seeking to see who Jesus was. Same word, seeking. Zacchaeus thought, you know, I'm, a spiritual, uh, I'm on a spiritual pilgrimage. I'm finding what truth I really believe in. I'm investigating things. I'm getting around the crowds. And at the end of the verse, Jesus says, you aren't seeking me. I've been seeking you. Why do you think I knew your name when you were up in the tree before I'd even met you? And who invited me over to your house anyways? <laughs> you didn't invite me. I invited myself into your house. And why, why is your life changing? Why are you beginning to care about uh, the people whose taxes you're, you're, the people you're getting tolls from? It's because my spirit's already been at work at you before I even came here. I'm doing things in your life far before you were doing things in my life. You're, you've got it all backwards. You're not seeking me. I'm seeking you. And what faith is about is embracing the fact that God has come to save us. We're not saving ourselves. It's embracing not what we do for Jesus, but what he has already done for us. Listen, all of our sins, he's paid for on the cross. All of them. All that we will ever do. And all we can do is just receive it and make our life a giant thank you to him in any way that we can. That he's already uh, paid for everything. And that uh, and, and it, it, you know, he's given us the Holy Spirit. He's given us this community and this church. These are all things that he planned and he's, and, and, uh, he's decided for us. Conversion is about embracing all those things, about being loved freely by God. And so the question for us is, will, will we bring Jesus home? Will we let him come in and remodel? Will we acknowledge that we are the lost and that only, him, only he can seek us and save us and find us? May he do that. Let's pray together. Our Lord, we uh, thank you for the picture of a transformed life in this passage. Would the story of Zacchaeus be our story, whether we're here and uh, uh, we would not put our faith in Jesus and we would say that we've never done that, would you make this our story? Would you invite us, would you invite yourself over into our house? And whether we've been walking with you uh, for, for many years, would we continue in the steps of repentance and faith, repentance and faith, repentance and faith? that that would be our life, that we depend on your free grace to us in Jesus. And we ask this in his name. Amen.